0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y.org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emmanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving.
1: We rejoice to visit today with Dr. Marvin McMickle. He's a retired president and the current director of doctoral ministry uh, for Colgate Rochester Crozier Seminary. Dr. McMickle, thank you so much for joining us today in our conversation.
2: Uh, I appreciate your thinking of me, and I'm looking forward to our discussion.
1: Wonderful. Well, we've been on a journey. Uh, for a, a few years with more than 50 pastors about half of them are women pastors and about half are millennial and zennial pastors and this is a journey we call pilgrimages of striving and thriving thinking about flourishing in ministry that does not accept the kind of idea that every round goes higher and higher but that uh, and met, one metaphor we've been using is to think about flourishing as a tree, where sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes the leaves are falling, and sometimes the branches are empty, but still the tree is alive and flourishing. So that's one way of thinking about flourishing in ministry. Given your experience as a pastor, as a scholar, as an administrator. Can you talk to us about what flourishing in ministry might look like from your perspective?
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, Let me perhaps for the benefit of your uh, listeners just review what that experience has been. Um, I spent four years between 1972 and 1976 with Samuel Proctor at Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York City. So that was my first staff assignment. Then I was the pastor of St. Paul Baptist Church in Montclair, New Jersey for 10 years, 1976 to 1986. Then 24 years as the pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. I retired from there in order to go to Rochester, For the eight years that I spent uh, as president of the Divinity School there, I retired from there, came back to Cleveland with every intention of sitting in a chair and rocking. And the church called me back to be the interim pastor. So now I'm both the pastor emeritus and the interim pastor. How many folks do you know who, uh, who wear both of those titles? Uh, to answer your question, I have, I have thought over the years about Ephesians chapter 4 as a point of reference. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, talks about uh, God has called some to be um, prophets and some called to be apostles and some called to be evangelists and some called to be pastors and teachers. I take that fourth category, pastors and teachers, and I keep reading where the text then says to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry until we have all grown up into the fullness of Christ. So I take the notion that flourishing in ministry occurs when you've got a biblical model of what you're trying to achieve. And for me, that model is how do I find a way as a pastor in ministry to equip other people to share with me in the work of the ministry so that I'm not the only one working and everybody else is watching while I work myself to death. I've used, I wrote a book some years ago uh, entitled Caring Pastors, Caring People, in which I use the model of concentric circles. You take a stone and you drop it into a body of water, however deep the water is, Uh, it makes outwardly forming circles. Uh, The first circle I suggest is the work that is unique to the pastor. There are some things that only the pastor should expect to be asked to do, uh, is ordained to do, is called to do. So focus in on those tasks that are specifically for the pastor and do those well. The second circle that I'm envisioning Uh, is where the pastor is equipping members of the church to share in some of the pastoral tasks, share in caring for one another. So that's the second circle. When I can get members of the congregation involved in doing work in, around and for the church, I feel that the church is flourishing. Then the third circle, The third outwardly flowing circle is when I can persuade the church, the congregation, the dues paying members to open their hearts and their doors to the surrounding community so that the work of the church doesn't stop with the membership and doesn't stop inside the walls, but extends as the church becomes an agent of transformation and help for the surrounding neighborhood. So when I see those three things happen, When I see that I am focusing in on those tasks uniquely mine, or at least disproportionately so, preaching, pastoral visitations, weddings, funerals, baptisms, et cetera, things that require ordination. When I'm doing those things well, I'm flourishing. When I've got other folk in the church working, trained and equipped, but committed to certain tasks, to keep the church going, the church is flourishing. When the church is engaged in the life of the community, the community begins to flourish. And that's the model I've been using for the last 35 years.
1: That is a wonderful way of helping us to see flourishing in pastoral ministry, but also as it's connected, uh, not in isolation. Right. Uh, But it's also uh, uh, in connection. So our formula of flourishing that we've been exploring holds that if a pastor takes seriously the context of service and her or his capacity as a leader, takes those and builds the content of ministry, Mm -hmm. that there's a higher probability for flourishing. So we presume that, uh, one should not expect a a palm tree to flourish in Vermont. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about how you have understood context to inform content of ministry?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, Let me just take the last, the the 24 years, the longest stretch. Uh, The stretch when I think I kind of got my full stride. Um, The 10 years that I spent in Montclair, New Jersey were years that were in essentially a New York City bedroom community. Um, So it was a kind of a suburban experience even though I was within a five minute drive of Newark, New Jersey. But the 24 years that I spent in Cleveland, Ohio, were 24 years in the teeth of uh, urban America, uh, in the teeth of rust belt America, in the teeth of inner city America, in the teeth of an impoverished community, in a steadily impoverishing city, in a steadily declining state population. And so the way in which I had to help the church think about ministry was with respect to the demographics that we kind of staked out a one mile radius. Uh, I used a a, a book uh, by a man named Paul Nixon, uh, where he talked about fleeing open the doors of the church. And then another book by a guy named Rick Russo and another co-author whose name now escapes me. Anyway, it was called The Externally Focused Church. So between those two books and, and their vision, that if you can get the church to think about itself, not in terms of its internal operations, you know, what color is the carpet and what, you know, what kind of ham and organ are we going to buy, but think instead about being externally focused and flinging open the doors, then our challenge was to see what's just outside the door within a one square mile radius. So we built our ministries in relationship over those 24 years to what we saw right outside the door. We didn't have to take a car drive to see. Let me give you a biblical, geographical, topographical analysis. What is the difference between uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea? Uh, The Sea of Galilee is constantly nurtured by water that flows down from the mountains of Lebanon. And so something is always flowing in it. It then flows water through the Jordan River, which you know, fertilizes that whole part of Israel and Jordan, because something is constantly moving. But when it gets to the Dead Sea, because it's so low, the water empties into the Dead Sea, but because there is no place for it to empty out too, it just sits there it stagnates our vision of ministry is that we do not want the resources that come to the church to sit inside the church and and fail to flow out we see we see we see ourselves as a conduit of resources um something flows in you know we're nurtured by it as a congregation we try to nurture everything around us that we can put our hands on. Uh, We don't want to be the Dead Sea. We would rather be the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River giving life as opposed to stagnating uh, things come in, but nothing goes out.
1: Can you say something to us about how the pastor's capacity contributes Mm -hmm. to that kind of content because uh, yeah. I can just imagine some pastor being feeling like a deer in headlight talk to us about capacity and how that relates yeah. to that kind yeah. of ministry
2: yeah you know I think uh, capacity building begins certainly in my case I wish I wish every young preacher, could have had my early exposure to mentorship. Because I think that the people who mentor you prepare you in ways you don't even know for the ministry challenges that await you because you're watching them as they navigate them right in front of you. So I didn't say that from 1970 to 1972, I was unpaid it was more field work than it was a job. I was with Bill Jones, William Augustus Jones Jr. at Bethany Baptist Church in Brooklyn. And I watched him both as pastor of this massive church, massive membership, and also as the president of the New York chapter of Operation Breadbasket. So what I saw him doing was merging together pastoral ministry and a really aggressive social activism and so i began to think okay this is this is one of the ways by which ministry can happen especially in urban america then i left and i went to abyssinian so now now i'm looking at sam proctor who never left rutgers to go to abyssinian he took half salary at abyssinian kept an endowed professorship at rutgers and he, he walked the line of pastor, scholar, pastor, doctoral student, mentor. So where did I ever get it in my mind that I could be a pastor who taught in seminaries or I could be a pastor who might leave to go be the president of a seminary? That capacity was being cultivated early on uh, by Sam Proctor. I think if you took those six years of uh, modeling and mentoring away from me. Uh, I do not think my resume would read in the same way. And so I urge people to seek out mentors and I urge old pastors to avail themselves of the opportunity to be one because that's what's gonna help you discover what your gifts are. Now, on the other hand, nobody is gifted to do everything. So one of the best things that ever happened to me was when I hired uh, a young man, sadly now deceased, uh, came down with a, a, a fatal illness. But he was there when I was there all 24 years. Hired a young man out of the business world. I'm not I'm not a businessman. You know, I'm not into contracts. I don't know much about uh, how to line up pipe fitters and, you know, and HVAC experts. He knew all of this because he ran his own business, but the Lord called him to a ministry. He kept trying to discern what the nature of his ministry was until he and I decided it really was a ministry of administration. It really was for him to use his skill set to fundamentally run the nine to five day to day operation of the church in ways I really, number one, was not very good at. And number two, that freed me up to go to Princeton, to go to Ashland Seminary, to go to uh, other places where I had been teaching uh, part-time or full-time, to take a semester off and go to Yale and teach a semester up there. Knowing that he and the staff he built around him, I could leave for a week. If anything came up, we'd be in touch. Otherwise I knew that the capacity uh, was there. So I tried to maximize what I did well. Here's this concentric circle. I do the parts that I know I can do well. I trust other folk, but also monitor them to make sure they're doing their parts well. Regular staff meetings, regular leadership meetings. It worked for us. Find out what are your strengths, maximize them, Be humble enough and sensible enough to know where you need help and then go seek it out. If you cannot afford it, I would guarantee you, there are people in most churches uh, who've got some professional background or some experiential background that if you just made it known that uh, you had a need, uh, short-term or long-term, either somebody in the church could do it or they could find someone who will.
0: A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview.
3: Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian weakness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L O T T C A R E Y dot O. RG Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed.
0: Welcome back to the Lot Carry podcast Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison Macquarie, the learning coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry.
1: Dr. Marvin McMickle, suppose there's someone who's listening to this podcast and they're saying, man, here, this this pastor has been, you know... He's got degrees. Uh, He's got uh, uh, two doctorate degrees. He's been a professor. He's been a pastor. His early time was just being in some of the places with uh, paradigmatic leaders and their friends. And he's done all of this stuff. Can you say a word to folks who would look at that but need to know that you've had to work on building some of your own capacity. Yeah. So can you tell us about some area of pastoral ministry or leadership where you had to work to, to get it uh, up to where it needed to be?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think mentors can only point you in the direction that, They think you can go, meaning they think you've got the capacity to go there, and they're going to encourage you to test the water. Every move I made when I left, when I left Abyssinian to go to St. Paul, Sam Proctor, uh, you know, said it's time for you to tackle uh, something on your own, and uh, I'm encouraging you to go and try it. I hope we've helped you here. When I left... Uh, St. Paul, to go to uh, Antioch in Cleveland. It was Gardner Taylor, uh, with whom I consulted, uh, who was also in Brooklyn, New York at that time. And, you know, he said, you need to put yourself in a place where the traffic is busier. Uh, That was his exact phrase. Where the traffic is busier, where there's more going on around you. Uh, you're kind of nestled away in Montclair, and you're never going to get any—never going to get any, never gonna get any uh, bigger idea of what your ministry can be if you find yourself in a place where you're never having to imagine. How do I respond to something that I've never seen before? So, yeah, I had to grow in my capacity as a congregational leader in an urban setting. Um, how do I get the church to reach beyond its understanding of ministry as personal salvation and, you know, sort of church calendar life, to think about that uh, that model of Ephesians 4, that we are really in this work, not so that we can be saved, but so that we can become agents of Christ uh, in the work of, a spiritual and social transformation
1: what brings you the most joy as a pastor
2: um the thing that gives me the most joy as a pastor is to see the second and third circles at work um some people are content with what they themselves do in their first circle. I'm gonna just keep using my own little, my own little paradigm. They're content if their sermons uh, a result in people joining. Okay, that's great. Uh they're they're content if their ministry, their, you know, their ministry, their first name, Marvin McMichle Ministries, is going. Okay, I'm that's fine. No problem. So you're doing well and the world knows your name and you're thriving and that's good. Um, What gives me the most joy is to see people in the congregation caring for one another. So here's a story. My first church, we had a group called the Helping Hands Club. These were persons whose ministry it was at the end of every funeral. Now this is in Northeastern New Jersey where the winners are brutal. When the family would leave the church to go to the cemetery to bury their loved one, they knew that when they came back to the church, a hot three-course meal was waiting for them and anybody they wanted to bring back from the cemetery. They would do this. Didn't matter who the person was. If the funeral was at St. Paul, the Helping Hands Club was going to be there. So one one occasion, I was just so moved by their faithfulness. I asked the leader of the group, I said, I'd like to express thanks and appreciation to your group in a more formal way. To whom do I address um, my words of thanks? And she said, to us. I said, well, but what name can I affiliate this with, and she said, the Helping Hands Club. I said, but I mean, I want to I give out certificates of appreciation with your names on it. We don't need certificates of appreciation. We want to do our part. And if you do your part up there preaching the eulogy and you going to the cemetery, you do your part. When you bring them back to the church, you sit down with them and we'll do our part. That's what gives me joy. Is to see the members embracing their opportunities for ministry, and to do it selflessly. Uh, You know, to not be preoccupied with getting recognition for it. And everywhere I've gone, I've run into groups like that.
1: Dr. McMichael, we have people from across the country and around the world who listen to the Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. So for some aspiring pastor or somebody who is in the midst of it, uh, doing the work the best they can, maybe they're feeling good. Maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed. What word of advice would you like to offer somebody?
2: I've got, I've got some words. that all start with H. You will not be surprised if a Baptist preacher uses <laughs> alliteration. Um, I I wrote these out in yet another book that I did called Star Book on Preaching. And this was advice that I gave to preachers, not about how to write sermons, but how to survive in ministry. And uh, these are the words that I would ask people to consider. Number one is to take care of your head. This is lifelong learning. Uh, this is um, remaining intellectually curious. This is about continuing to read and be parts of clergy organizations where you are allowed to continue to reflect on on ministry. Take care of your take care of your head. Take care of your heart. This is spiritual formation. Uh, In in his book, uh, The Heart of Black Preaching, Cladophus LaRue at Princeton talks about what he called um, domains of experience that black preachers have used over the years to shape their sermon topics. And the first one that that LaRue talks about is personal piety. Now, this is preachers who are urging other people to engage in Bible study and prayer, reflection and meditation, but, but I think it applies to the preacher as well. Personal piety, constantly at work on our own spiritual formation so that we are reading the Bible for ourselves and not for a sermon. Reading the Bible for ourselves and not for a sermon. Reading the Bible for ourselves prayerfully, uh, unhurriedly. If if a preacher spends more time reading novels and the newspaper than they spend in the scriptures, uh, they are not going to have the rootage that they will need when the strong wind blows. So take care of your heart take care of your health, don't get burned out. Ephesians 4, if you apply Ephesians 4, will help you to not get burned out because you are learning the lessons. I use use in Ephesians 4, I I use in the book that that I, uh, from which I made the case in Ephesians 4, a couple of biblical models. The first one is um, Moses in Exodus 17 where the israelites are confronted by the amalekites and they're about to be attacked and moses says to joshua you take the army and you go down into the valley and you fight the amalekites i will go up to uh, a mountain and i'll take the staff with me and i will hold the staff up as long as i can but he got tired And then Aaron and her were up there helping him to hold up the staff. And as long as the staff stayed up, then Israel won. He got tired. He needed help. Take care of your health so that you don't burn out. I know you think that the world cannot go on without you. I recall once when I was at St. Paul, I got sick, couldn't go to church, I thought, But I felt this sense of my pulpit, you know, and my people. And so I took myself to church. And I got uh, about halfway through, and I collapsed in the pulpit from exhaustion. They took me out and took me home, and the doctor said that I was exhausted and needed two weeks of bed rest. My first question was, what would the church do without me? The first Sunday rolls around and the deacons came and told me that they had found somebody to preach in my pulpit. They had found somebody to preach in my pulpit. I said, who'd you get? They said, we got Reverend so-and-so. I said, oh, no, 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 no. He can't preach in my pulpit. He hadn't been to Union. He hadn't been to Columbia. He hadn't been to Princeton. He cannot preach in my pulpit. They said, well, you're sick and he's not and he's coming and that's that. Man, when Reverend So and so was through at St. Paul on Sunday, 13 people had joined the church while I was flat on my back at home. And the Lord humbled me and said, You know, I can really do this without you. You just get better and we'll carry on until you do. So take care of your head, take care of your heart, take care of your health. And if you've got a family, if you've got a family, you've got a wife or a husband, or children, or you're caring for your parents or whatever, take care of your home. Uh, You're not in this business by yourself. Your family is with you. They are sacrificing for you. Be mindful of anniversaries, be mindful of birthdays. I've written 18 books in my ministry. The first book was released in the year 2000. Why didn't I have a book out before? I was the same person had the same mind my son finished high school in 1998 and I was not going to do anything that would keep me from a science fair a band concert a wrestling match or a football game and the Lord has honored that and I've been able to carry on so those four things I think if you work on those four things take care of your head take care of your heart take care of your health take care of your home and the Lord will take care
1: of you. Dr. Marvin McMickle, it's been a blessing to talk with you and thank you for the generosity of your time and your wisdom on this
2: day. Thank you for inviting me Dr. have go. It's been a privilege.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen online at lotcarry.org.